Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleep but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh? Yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the church five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This is deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you started trying to reach, huh? But after him who's able to possess your father by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. world. 
so it is a topic that we definitely need to bring light to. Right. You know, people got to be huddled up all in the house, and they can't really go outside and get that relief, so they stay in the house and take it out themselves and their loved ones and everybody mm-hmm. else. Exactly. So, exactly. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, if you don't know, and I don't know why you don't know, but um, – I love the topic of the show. Why does she stay? Why doesn't she just leave? And it's a, definitely want to talk about that as well because there's a whole lot of reasons people stay. Um, I don't know. We're going to let you talk about it, Miss Reese. So tell us a little bit about you. Who is C.C. Reeves? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, yeah, I'm a Christian author. Um, I'm also a nurse and I'm a proud mother of two wonderful girls living out here in New York and working in this pandemic. Oh, wow. Um, you you right know, there, the... you, you right there hands-on with this pandemic, huh? Yes. I, you know, um, I actually got my nursing license over a year ago, and uh, my first job as a nurse was to work in urgent care, and I started about a month um, into the pandemic. So it was quite a challenging time, a very surreal time for me to start, you know, my first job as a nurse during this pandemic. Um, But with this vaccine now being out, we're very hopeful now, you know. I know it's all kind of uh, uh, information going on about the vaccine uh, and, and misinformation. Right. Um, and misinformation. Uh, I don't want to get too far off our topic, but as you being a nurse, how do you feel mm-hmm. about the vaccine? You know, um, with everything uh, that's been going on, I feel very hopeful, you know, um, about this vaccine right now. Um, it's brought to us and, uh, you know, at first it's going to be given to, you know, the essential workers, frontline workers, and the elderly. But, you know, over time it will be available to everyone at no cost. So I I am hopeful. I'm optimistic. You know, uh, I'm praying about it, uh, you know, and I hope God will help us through this very trying time right now because we need something. We need hope, especially this time. We definitely need some hope. So listen, uh, um, CC. Did you start? Um, I guess did you start writing before you became a nurse? When did you start doing that? Oh yeah, I started writing at a very young age. I was about eight years old um, when I started developing my creative, my creative um, creativity, and um, you know I learned how to write from as early as third grade. You know, I had a great teacher named Mr. Kirby. Um, he used to teach all the students how to build their imagination. We started writing topics on, like, my flying unicorns, my talking pencils. He really reached to us um, and brought these topics alive. And I think that's what created that, you know, momentum in me to, like, want to write. Um, and then later over the years, you know, other teachers as well, like, inspired me to write even more. And it was a way of therapy for myself, you know, when I was going through some hard times um, as a child. You know, uh, this topic of domestic violence is very personal to me because I lost some family members to domestic violence um, back when I was 14. I had two cousins who were age 14 and 9 years old, and my 32-year-old aunt were murdered by their husband and father. So it was some way of me dealing with that and uh, carrying that through my life as therapeutic to me. So writing was very important to me at an early age. And I understand that uh, you're a Christian as well. Uh, did your yes. personal uh, did your personal relationship with the domestic violence issue uh, did that drive you into the church? Did that have some? Um, how am I trying to say this? Did that have influence. some type of uh, uh, influence on your direction? I would say that my faith became stronger going through those challenges and storms of my life with domestic violence, but I grew up in a, a Catholic household. Um, my father was very spiritual. My mom was very spiritual as well. Prayer was very important in our family. You know, we learned, you know, about God at an early age. Um, we were baptized. 
Uh, but I always had my own personal prayer life with God from the age of seven. Um, when I became, you know, later on in the years, when I became like in my 20s, I kind of lost that connection. Um, I didn't find it so much as a connection in the Catholic Church. Um, and then I went through a separation from my husband um, back then, and I think it was in uh, 09. And I had to raise two girls by myself. Um, and I went through a lot. And then later on, I was involved in a very uh, toxic relationship with the first man that I had fallen in love with after my uh, separation from my ex-husband. So throughout that time, um, I feel like I was brought to the Christian faith. You know, I can remember as early as when a low point in my life when I turned the TV on and I saw a preacher talking about the word of God in a way that I've never seen in a Catholic church. Um, and it was T.D. Jake, great anointed man, um, very blessed man. And, uh, you know, he had reached me in a way that I have never felt that God had reached me in the Catholic church. And I'm not putting the Catholic faith down. It was just a different connection for me, having listened to a Christian sermon. And um, from that point on, I got more interested in the Christian faith. Um, a friend invited me to a Christian sermon and uh, a service, and I went. And from that point on, I just started to go to Christian services and many years later became baptized in a Christian church. You know, I made that uh, declaration of my faith, and I'm proud that I did because, you know, God is amazing, and he's moved in my life in ways that I never thought was imaginable. Hmm. Okay. So uh, definitely God played a part uh, in you coming out of the toxic uh, relationship. Yeah. Was, uh, was the guy, was it more of a physical uh, abusive type situation, mental abuse or, or it was, both? You know, with, with all physical abusive relationships, um, emotional abuse always precedes that. And while my personal relationship with my toxic abuser was more emotional than physical, there were physical abuse. Um, there were times of physical abuse between me and him um, where I suffered. And, um, but the emotional abuse is just as powerful as being physically abused in a relationship because the emotional abuse breaks you down mentally, you know, um, and, and we state that because it's just so hard even after you leave a relationship that the healing takes, you know, to get to a point where you're rich and you're able to say, you know what, I came out of it, I survived it. So it's just so important um, to be aware that emotional abuse is just as harmful as the physical abuse is. I guess now would be a good time to ask this question. Well, why does she stay and why doesn't she just leave? You know, women, I find that women often say, I know that I did, uh, with an abusive partner because you're afraid of leaving. Um, you're afraid of starting over. Maybe it could be financial security. You're afraid that your partner is going to physically lash back at you. Um, you're just afraid to even admit to yourself that you are a victim of abuse. You know, it, it's just not something that you want to talk about, you want to share, um, and then by admitting and leaving, you have to tell your family and your friends that you are being abused or you are in a relationship that is abusive. So there's just so many different reasons why women stay with an abusive partner. And then I, I know for myself, um, having gone through the experience that I went through, you also think back to, you know, this person that you fell in love with did not start off as a monster. Um, he was charming. He was charismatic. You know, he drew you in, and, and this is, you know, the type of narcissistic behavior that an abuser will show. You know, he'll love bomb you. He'll show you lots of things of how much he supposedly loves you, whereas, you know, ask you questions about yourself. Um, even in the earlier times, you might think there's a little bit of jealousy, but it's kind of cute, you know, and you feel like no one understands you better than him in the beginning. Um, so he doesn't come out as a monster in the very beginning, he's very charming in the beginning. And that's what I found. You know, my abuser was very charming in the beginning. He was a family person. He was very talkative. He was the center of attention. And I loved that, you know, wherever we went, everybody knew him. Um, but you hold on to these, like if you have like a 90% bad times and 10% good, 
a victim usually holds on to that 10% and say, well, you know, he can change. And your abuser will even give you promises that he is changing and he's getting the help that he needs only for the cycle to continue, you know, again. And so it's hard. It's, it's, there's so many reasons why people stay in a relationship that's like that. What would you say to a person that's in a, a, an abusive relationship and don't realize that? What I mean by that question is, you know, if, if, Say an individual came up in a household and that's all they seen from their parents, and then mm-hmm. they reenacted the same scenario uh, when they got in a relationship. And for other people, outsiders, it would seem definitely as abusive and uh, crazy, but to them it appears to be their normal. Well, that's the thing. If you're growing up, if you're growing up in a household where you're seeing this as your norm you're typically going to accept that as normal behavior. So it's our job as parents to teach our children what real love is. You know, it's supportive, it's nurturing, um, to get help, you know, especially when families are in conflict, to seek out help and counseling, um, to recognize, you know, these different elements of a relationship and what the dynamics can have on the children. Because, you know, one in 15 children are exposed to intimate partner violence. You know, the statistics show that. You know, and it's just, you know, and the other statistics are like one in four women have experienced at least physical or sexual violence by a current or previous partner. You know, so these things are all started rooted um, in the family. And if you grew up in that, then you're going to think that that's the norm and you're going to justify the behavior that you're receiving in that relationship. So we have to be more, uh, teach our kids about what real love is, you know, and what it's not. How do you think uh, uh, society plays into this? Society, I mean, society passes judgment a lot. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, why does she stay? You know, she should have left him. If I was her, I would have left him a long time ago. But, you know, no one sees things behind closed doors. No one knows how a person got to that point of where they feel they need to stay. You know, they're economic reasons, there's financial reasons, the person who's your abuser could be controlling all the finances and they don't have any way to escape, you know, but if you know of a person who's suffering from domestic violence and if you are aware of that, you have to reach out, don't be a passive bystander, you know, guide them gently to the resources that are available to them, encourage them, you know, uh, understand that you're dealing with someone whose self-esteem is shattered, their confidence is very low, you know, this has taken time over time they've been broken down mentally by their abuser feeling that they can't and they're not worth it so another thing is that they don't know their self-worth and they feel that this is what they deserve and an abuser will manipulate to think that you know i am being treated this way because i deserve to be treated like this i am the cause of his behavior you know so it there's so much underlining this whole situation where you know society just uh shows that they're very judgmental and you know and with social media and instagram and facebook you have to portray yourself as a perfect family a perfect relationship you take a thousand pictures and you put it up there but nobody knows what goes on to get to those pictures no one knows are those pictures real are they fake you know and and it's just a, a a society where it's based on what can i show others and get their approval and the validation from others you know, but there's just so many things that go on that we don't know about. So we have to be less judgmental. And it's kind of hard, but we have to pray that that comes about. Right, because sometimes even when you try to help a friend, you end up become a, uh, end up becoming a victim. Exactly. They, or they end up turning, they turn away from you because even though they know what you're saying may be true, they don't want to hear it. Right. And that is why, you know, the way we approach someone who is a victim of domestic violence has to be gentle. We have to be supportive. We have to, you know, give them these outlets, these resources, and know that it's ultimately up to them to get the help they need. Um, But we can still reach out. We can still do our part and not just stay quiet and not just keep a lid on things and hoping that it will go away and they'll figure it out. You know, losing my family is just very serious to me and our family. It came as a very big shock. And one of the things to regret is that we weren't as close 
as we should have been. And if we hadn't been close, we could have reached out and gotten the help that they needed before the murder had happened. So was it your, do you feel like it was your fault of not being close or was it that she, you know, may, not I, I feel, you, she may not have allowed you to be close because of the situation? I think that, you know, we just, as, as families, we weren't as involved back then um, with, you see like what people portray to be and you just didn't ask the questions that needed to be asked, you know, and I feel that we could have done more as a family. Um, but we weren't as close to my relatives that were murdered. Um, and I just, I go back a million times in my head and said, you know, what if I had done things differently or had, had spent more time with them and gotten to know them. And I feel like the opportunity was stolen, but, you know, I also, you know, think that, maybe it would have, you know, damaged me even more to have gone through that um, knowingly and been, you know, in part of it. There's reasons that things happen, you know, and uh, it's sad that it did happen, but it's a learning experience and how to recognize things earlier on when you're dealing with other people who are victims of domestic violence and what you can do and not stay quiet. And it was a completely shock. You know, it wasn't something that we had talked about or even knew about so it was it's hard you know you have to tell yourself that I did the best I could have back then but I learned from it and I won't make the same mistake again I guess the reason I asked that question also is because I know regardless of how much you want to be with somebody if that person don't reach their hand out or open the door for you sometimes you're kind of in a situation where it's kind of hopeless I mean what can what can you do except for offer yourself or extend yourself or try to be supportive of somebody. How do you crack it in? How do you crack the door open? How do you get in when basically they've shut you out because of their own embarrassment? That is hard. It is hard to to get someone to open up, and you just got to keep showing them love and get gain their trust. Trust is a very big thing, you know, with victims of domestic violence. Who can I trust? Who can I talk to? You know, so you just have to do, again, you have to keep reaching out no matter how much they shut down. You just got to keep doing it, and then hopefully, and you pray about it, that they'll let you in little by little. But you have to let them know, and we have to let victims know that they don't need to be afraid, that there are resources that they can reach out to. There are hotlines, like the National Domestic Hotline, you know, um, and educate our children at a very young age, you know, before they start dating, of what we need to look out for in a partner um, versus, like, the red flags that we need to look out for, you know, and, and be involved in our children's lives, be involved in what they do on social media. There's just so much that we can do as parents and start early now um, to help prevent this and to bring more awareness to this. Yes, yes. We mentioned early on, um, early on you mentioned the, 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 the pandemic and its effect on um, domestic violence. What are the reasons for that, do you think? I know it's more than one. Well, the, 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 the clear-cut answer would be that, you know, when you're quarantined, these victims are quarantining with their abusers. You know, it, it spikes up because they don't have access to go out and, and be with their friends and, uh, you know, reach um, the people that they need to reach. Everything is virtual, you know, whereas children also, you know, they've gone from being interacting with school. So a kid that's been in school for a couple of hours have now gone fully remote. Um, they've gone hybrid and so there's so many things I can't even tell you how many teachers and social workers that I've talked to have told me that they can't reach their students they don't get online they're you know and all they can do is keep calling and calling because the resources are been so exhausted um, during this pandemic so it, there really needs to be protocols that help put these people out there in the workforce and say you know get out there go and do the home visits we need to get more people we need to make sure that we get a handle on this because this, I, I believe it was called, um, one newspaper had reported as an opportunist infection, which is, you know, classic. I think it was a great way to describe domestic violence right now, you know, because these people are being abused at home and um, nothing has been really being done about it, you know. And it's spiked globally. I mean, I think the reports that came in from China, that China's uh, domestic violence reports have tripled. France is at a 30% high now. Spain is following up at 20%. 
I mean, it's just amazing how, you know, this has been affected globally, not just nationally. And on top of everybody else getting sick and dying with the virus, then domestic Mm -hmm. violence is on top of that. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and and our typical day, I believe the domestic hotlines, they receive over 200,000 phone calls, you know. So it's just, it's just, absolutely dreadful you know this is something that we need to talk about we need to get more involved in not just in the month of october but you know every day we need to make a way to to get a handle on this do you see do you see any any daylight in the future with with this I do. I feel if more people, you know, voice their opinions, there's more um, advocacy for domestic violence victims, there's more seminars, there's more teachings on it, you know, people get involved instead of, you know, staying quiet about it. Um, Not just the advocates that are out there now, but everybody, you know, comes together and really gets involved. I I, I mean, you you could just do a show of hands and at least one person would have known somebody who's been affected by domestic violence in their family or their friends, you know, just to become more involved. You know, healthcare professionals, um, they need to do more screening uh, in regards to, like, when they have visits from these patients and and screen better um, to see if there's any abuse that's going on at home. It just really needs to be, you know, at the forefront. Yes. Do you see any difference in the numbers in terms of, uh, I guess, I guess the domestic, uh, I'm, I'm trying to say, the physical abuse, the mental abuse, is there a breakdown, I mean, in terms of the numbers globally, or is it all lumped into one category? I believe it's all lumped into one category from what I've seen, you know, um, because it does go hand in hand. You know, with emotional, there is physical. You know, it all goes hand in hand. Hmm. Wow, that's and it goes on every, every, every day. Yes, I know. It does. I was going to ask I mean, you about there's 20 about people your, per minute. Sorry. 20 people, 20 people per, per minute. Per minute. 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. 20 people per minute. Wow. You know, I guess it's just totally amazing. I guess I'm saying wow because I've had people on the show uh, CC that was in what I would consider uh, a totally dysfunctional relationship, you know, um, mm-hmm. based on my upbringing. I'm sure you would too, but mm-hmm. they felt that that they wasn't being shown love. It didn't feel like their partner loved them unless they got popped upside the head. Right. Exactly, and that goes from how they grew up and and what they thought was the norm. You know, in, in certain cultures, the man is the authority, and uh, women are submissive. You know, and, and especially in the Chinese culture, you know, um, it's just it's just a way of life. You know, what you've accepted over the years, what you've seen your family accepted, what is the norm, um, and we need to change that. We need to make people aware that that is not normal. That is not functional, you know, and, and it, we need to, like I said, educate our children about this so that the next generation of boys and girls are able to treat with more respect. We need to change that within our family. If we see, you know, and in the stressful time with COVID, you know, it's only normal that the stressors as parents, you know, we may lash out aggressively and we have to take a moment um, to ourselves and deal with what's stressing us out so that we don't affect our children, you know. So it's, it's just so many things and so many elements that um, go into domestic violence. Yeah, I wish they just had one ruler, man, but they keep moving that stick. They keep moving that ruler, what's normal and what's not, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they keep I moving agree. the norms. I agree. So when you were um, writing your book, uh, uh, Cece, who was your intended audience? My intended audience, um, you know, when I wrote this book, it was a way for me to heal from the experience that I had. Um, But when I wrote this book um, and I felt that God just inspired me in a way to say, you know, don't just write this book for you, but also write it for others who are dealing with abuse 
who are dealing with grief, who are dealing with loss, um, really come to a breaking point in their lives, whether it be, you know, their job, their health, you know, anything. Because there is at one point or another, we all reach our breaking point. And the breaking point means a point where we reach in life where we say, are we going to give up? Are we going to press forward? Are we going to move on? You know, um, and it's just uh, so important that I made a character that um, I wanted to reach people where we could not only just see, you know, what it's like to be a domestic violence victim, but also to know and inspire people to know that there's a way out of this. You know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So is your book broken down in chapters or are you talk about particular situations that incurred? At different points. This this book is about uh, a domestic violence victim. It's you know it's been inspired by personal experiences that I've gone through, but it's about a young woman who's been in a physical and emotional abusive marriage for the last five years, and it's about the obstacles and challenges she faces along the way to leave her toxic abuser. You know she goes through so much, and that ultimately brings her to her faith and submission to God. And how God has changed her and uh, led her, you know, out of this darkness. So it, it's it's a very inspirational read, uh, you know, and I feel like well, everybody can benefit from reading this book. So what are some of the baby steps for a person that, that, that want to get from, go from where you were to, you know, where you now? I mean, is there some baby steps they could take or is that something that... <laughs> First, it would be, you know, first is to recognize, are you in a toxic relationship? You know, look out for the red flags. You know, is your partner acting hot and cold or portraying or displaying any obsessive behavior? You know, guilting you to only spending time with them, blaming you for their actions. You know, you know when I was in the relationship that I was in uh, with my toxic abuser, he had a drinking problem. And some of the things that he would say is, you're the one that makes me drink. You're the one that makes me do this. You know, right, look out for those things. Um, look out for are you walking on eggshells, you know, 90% of the time because you're afraid he's going to blow up? Or, you know, is he very critical and controlling of your behavior? Is he isolating you away from friends and family? You know, and, and then, you know, setting rules on our appearance of what you dress or how you should dress, you know, where you go. Are you constantly getting text messages and then being bombarded by that? You know, so you have to kind of first recognize those signs. And if you are in that relationship, you need to seek out counseling and figure out why are you in that relationship? Why are you accepting this treatment, you know, um, and start to, and if you're too far gone in this relationship and you find yourself, you know, being in a, in a domestic violent relationship and you have children, you have to find a safe way to get out. Um, you know, think of your safety, think of your children's safety. You know, give yourself motivation to get out of this relationship. Know that you're worth it. And that comes with counseling. That comes with prayer. That comes with, you know, getting the help that you desperately need. Because, you know, it can only end up more terrible. It can end up like what happened to my cousin. You know, it's a dangerous situation and it's a downward spiral. You know, you have to look out for your partner making these false promises that he's going to change, you know. Because that is what I had stayed in that relationship for so long is because my partner said, you know, I'm getting help I need. I'm, but it would only just keep going on a cycle of abuse. You know, it would continue. So you have to take these steps, recognize the signs, get the help that you need, you know, um, reach out to the National Domestic Hotline. There's a great website. It's called domesticshelters.org that gives you a valuable um, source of all this information, toolkits of how to safely leave a toxic abuser, um, you know, and things shows you where the shelters you can get, you know, get help from. And, uh, you know, you just got to make that change and know that you are worth it, that your life is important, that you're precious. You know, God brought you here for a reason, but he didn't want you to be with someone who's abusive emotionally or physically. And love should not hurt that way. You know, love should be supportive and it's nurturing. And know that you can do better, you will do better, and if you get the help that you need and get out of it. So, do you feel like a person, a, a man or a woman, that's that's opinionated and controlling, has the uh, potential to be abusive? Controlling, yes. Um, it's emotionally abusive. 
to be controlled, um, not opinionated. You can be opinionated, but be respectful of others' opinions. But controlling, yes, controlling what you wear, controlling, you know, so many different financially, being manipulative, yeah, those are signs. Those are red flags of abusive partners. When you were writing the book, uh, what was your biggest challenges outside of writing. the whole tech? Outside the whole technical part of it, my um, emotionally, it was very challenging emotionally. Um, you know, writing certain scenes um, and shaping the character of Kristen Summers, who's the main character of the book. Um, emotionally, it was very challenging for me to write these things down. Um, some of which, not all, personal experiences that I've gone through. You know, just seeing it written down, knowing, wow, I can't believe I allowed that to happen. I can't believe I went through that. Um, so that was challenging for me. Um, but also, you know, it made me realize how God helped me through some of the darkest storms of my life. And especially with this abusive relationship, you know, when I turned to him, how he led so many people in my life um, that helped me along the way and helped me reach to a point where I knew that this was not what I deserved and I needed to leave, you know. Did he cause it? Uh, you said he was an alcoholic. Did he cause any type of substance abuse with you? Did he cause any substance abuse with me? Yeah. Oh, no. I know people when they're going through being, you know, I... go, you understand my question? Because sometimes when people are going through stuff, then, it, you know, they end up going to, to drink themselves or, you know, uh, um, prescribe medication to deal with stuff, you know. No, I never, I never had a problem with drinking. I never had a problem with substance abuse. Um, I was always the one to try to tell him, you know, you need to stop drinking. I tried to get him help. Um, but again, you can't help someone that doesn't want to help themselves. You know, um, I loved him very much. I cared about him. Um, but it was, it was never a point where I experienced substance abuse myself. No, it didn't cause me to become addicted to any substance, thankfully. Well, I mean, that's a good thing because it's so easy because people, when they're dealing with stuff and they're looking for a way out, that's the first thing they do is go run to smoke a cigarette or run right. to go uh, uh, get a drink or, you know, something. They don't realize mm-hmm. that they, they're exchanging one situation for another one. Right, right, and depending on something else to give them comfort and need. And I think, I think, my comfort and the thing that I went to was God. And I think that's probably why I didn't have a substance abuse problem. Um, you know, and I'm lucky and I feel very blessed that I didn't have to go through that. You know, well, I think God. that would have been devastating for my children. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, yeah. we, they, we can thank God for that one because it's so easy to, to slip down that rabbit hole. It is, it is, you know, and I've heard a lot of, uh, things from other families who've experienced that and they've had dealt with that, you know, and they are dependent. You're absolutely right. They, you know, try to substitute one thing for another. So it is hard um, that you have to keep your mind right. You have to stay positive, you know, um, you have to get the help you need. Counseling is a big thing. You know, I'm very much an advocate for therapy, you know, um, group therapy, family therapy, whatever you need to get it done, do it. You know, because um, it, it it is a downward spiral, and it's very easily to get swarped up into that. Was uh was your husband involved at all, or your ex involved at all in any of uh, your church or your transition, or did he just fall? No, off? he was not. No, he was not. He was he was Catholic. I mean, he is Catholic. Um, he was not involved in my transition um, from Catholic to Christian. You know, I just want to make it clear my. The abusive relationship that I was in was not with my ex-husband. It was in the relationship that followed my separation from my ex-husband. Okay. Well, we definitely want to get that straight because we don't want him yeah. to stop. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want him to stop. Absolutely. You yeah. know, I had a similar experience, CC, but mine was uh, quite a bit younger than yours because when I first came to California, uh, I was uh-huh. the only black child in a Catholic school. 
Uh-huh. And uh and and for years, you know, I went to mass every day, wore uniforms and did all that stuff and all of a sudden I got transferred to um a public school and um it was a hell of a culture shock, that's all I can say. It was mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was totally different what what I had been, you know, accustomed to, you know what I mean? I, right. I had got accustomed to the, uh, I, I guess, the whole formal uh, situation, you know, going to mass every day and, you right. know, structured lunch and, you know, wearing press right. uniforms every day. And when I went to ca- when I went to public school, man, I started seeing kids with Rich Mac socks on and, <laughs> you know, pants too short and, and shirts, you know, wasn't buttoned up correctly and oh man, right. I, I, I thought I thought I was being punished. I was trying to figure out what did I do to deserve this. <laughs> no, I agree. It it is a culture shock. Um I grew up also in the Catholic you know, like I said, a Catholic church. I went to Catholic school all my life. Uh, up into high school I was in Catholic school and it was very different when I, you know, went from Catholic church to Christian. Um, but like I said, it, it was what worked for me, you know, it was a different world, but I felt more relaxed and more connected than I ever felt to God. I still do. You know, I, I watched the teachings of Elevation Church, Pastor Steve Furtick, the blessed anointed man, you know, um, and I instilled those Christian values into my children, you know, and, and one thing I, you know, going back and reflecting on this, you know, when you're in a relationship in the beginning, you know, you'll see that the narcissistic abuser will try to like get so much information and try to rush things, you know, um, try to have you commit to them very early on in the relationship. And you're like, wow, this is fantastic. This is amazing. You know, I've never felt this from anybody. Like this person obviously must really love me. But it's only to get information out of you that they can use later on and use as ammunition towards you. They want to know, like, your your time sequence, like, how long it takes you to get from home to work. And, like, you know, and, and it's just so many different things that, like, how in the beginning of a relationship that you think this person is really in love, you have to watch out for certain things, you know. And God says in Proverbs chapter 4, 23, guard your heart. You know, don't give too much too soon. Go slowly, you know, get to know the person that you're with, you know. And I think that's what we need to do is teach that. Wow. Because the representative might not be like the real person, huh? Exactly. Exactly. Well, well, guys, I don't want you to feel like we're the only one that's representative. Sometimes the females are representatives, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, domestic violence is also, it affects men. One in nine men have experienced that, of domestic violence in their life. You know, is this not what, what just. Was, what, was, what was that number again? One in nine men. One in nine men. Wow. One in nine not, men have experienced physical or sexual violence by a current or previous partner. That's, so not, that many, not, uh, that's not that many men, Cece. And it's a lot of crazy but females still, it's, it's out still there. a number. It's still a number, right? It's still a big well, number, true. and and it's it's something you know. Also, men don't talk about this. They don't want to be weak. They don't want to show that they're you know that they're looking like they're weak. That they're being abused at home. You know, um, when I was an EMT many years ago, I had a partner who was in a very toxic, abusive relationship. Um, and he would tell me stories, and it was kind of like strange for me because you never heard of it the other way around. Um, where a man is being abused, a man is being hit on. But it, it does happen. It's very, very, it's there. It's absolutely there. It's happening, you know. So it's for men and women. They are both domestic violence victims, you know. We hear a lot I, I more just, of women reported, but men are being affected too by this. Yeah, I just want to say something for the men, because these women nowadays, they go into the gym, working out, getting muscles, and they coming out popping <laughs> their dudes upside the popping they dudes upside the head. So I just want brothers to know that I'm speaking up for you, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so Cece, um, did the book uh, align with your expectations? You know, 
honestly, I, I got a lot much more positive feedback than I thought I would have gotten. You know, I, I've reached people across the world. Um, I've had people reach out to me on Instagram from Africa, um, even asking me, like, where can I get this book? Um, you know, the story sounds like a great story that can help so many people here in my country, uh, people from England, people from France, you know, that are reaching out to me about the book. And it wasn't at all what I expected. It succeeded more than what I have expected, you know, surpassed it. So uh, God has been really good so far in regards to, like, helping me reach my message to these people and to the general public. And I just hope it just increases even more. Right. Have you been on a book tour yet? No, we're actually putting that in works now. Um, you know, just trying to get the book out there and uh, get people to read it. You know, I'm very excited about it. Um, we have a trailer that's coming out soon. Um, we've worked on a trailer to promote it. Um, had some wonderful actors um, that have casted uh, to play the characters of the book. And um, it's going to be something when it gets released, and we hope to have that released by the end of this month. Oh, fantastic. I'm sure that's going to be uh, help a lot and do some great, great things. And I, and I see you said, uh, why do you say books are important to create the social change? Uh, it's very important because, you know, it helps someone look through a different lens. You know, um, it's just, it forces you to walk in another person's shoes. You know, it changes your opinion because you have to read a story through someone else's lens. You know, it changes your perspective. It changes you through your world through understanding and writing new narratives for yourself. Yeah, it makes sense. We have a switchboard full of people, and they've been awful quiet. You know, uh, press number one on your phone if you have a question for uh, Cece. I'm sure she'd be glad to answer the question. Just press number one. We'd be glad to let you in. Um, I don't want to think I'm the only one who's been socked upside the head by a woman or something. So, But I'm not weak. I'll talk about it. But uh, press number one on your phone. Uh, give us your questions. like to hear them. So, Cece, what do you feel like next for you? What do you have in store next? Um, you know, I I really enjoyed uh, directing this trailer that we just came out with, and uh, it's definitely something that I see for seeing, you know, hoping that the next step is to, you know, do more uh, projects like this in film. Um, also, I have a second book that I'm working on right now. It's more spiritual um, and uh, more uh, talks about, you know, the Bible and different stories from the Bible. So I'm working on that as well. So there's a lot more that I see that God has in store for me and uh, just hoping to spread his message, you know, and uh, speak out and advocate for domestic violence victims, but not just domestic violence victims, also for child abuse victims um, to touch on certain very sensitive topics like sex trafficking. Um, so there's just a lot more in store for me and I feel God will guide me in that way. Wow, and I'm sure he will, and I'm sure he's just just doing his work. And I'm sitting here, it's kind of scratching my head because I'm hearing a a, a, a director in our mix. <laughs> just however God can use me is, you know, where I want to be. Well, seems like that's the direction. Seems like that's the path you're on because it all starts pretty much where you are. You know, definitely being able to write. That's a lot of things that. Uh, I guess some directors can't do, you know, um, they have writers to write and then they direct, mm -hmm. but it's definitely uh, a blessing when you can do both. It is, it is. And it's, you know, I have to give again credit to God and it may sound, you know, um, like I just talking about God so much, but he is the driving force behind all of this. And he's the reason that I'm here today, how I got out of the relationship that I'm in, I've got out of every single challenge and, you know, come out on top, you know, um, it's just amazing what he's provided for me. And uh, before I would have never thought in a million years today, I would be speaking with you on a podcast live and uh, having my book published. It's been such a great accomplishment. And if it wasn't for him, none of this would have been possible. So I have to give him all the glory and the credit for that. 
Absolutely, and I totally agree with you on that as far as that's concerned. You've seen how I started off the show. Yep. Got to get, I was listening to that to, song, and it was just like, absolutely. You know, it made me feel and gave me confirmation that's exactly where I needed to be right now, tonight, at this time, is talking with you on this show. So it's just, it's it's amazing how he moves. It's a miracle, honestly. Yes, he keeps me getting up every day, and I, qu- I quit every other day, but I start back the next day because I feel like if he wanted me to do something else, I would be. Mhm, mhm. But definitely, you have a, a a a message through your book that would definitely uh, touch a lot of people, you know. And we just got to stay prayerful that uh, something yeah. you do, something you say, as well as myself, um, that would penetrate and, and, and help change and direct somebody's life. And that's actually why I do this show, you know. Um, mhm. To reach out and touch someone, you know, and a lot of times if they don't get it the first time, they can replay it and it'll hit them the second time. Right, right. You know, I I think that God brings people into service in different ways. You know, there's healthcare, there's social work, there's radio, there's media, there's writing. Um, we all play a part, and we can all you know spread His message through the means that He's given us. You know, so we all have a purpose. So very true, so very true. Well, Cece, tell everybody where they can go get your book. I know we talked around it, but we didn't tell them where they could go get it. And uh, is it uh, a print, or did you do an audio version as well? I did an e-book and a paperback, um, and it's available on Amazon.com. Um, it's The Breaking Point by Cece Reeves. And uh, you can also go to www.cecereeves.com, and uh, you can Click on one of the links there, purchase, and that will direct you to the Amazon page where it's available. Um, and you can also follow me on Facebook, um, Stories by CC Reeves, and on Instagram as well, Stories by CC. Yeah, well, we definitely have to get a hold to a copy as well. Um, it's a great read, and you know, um, for readers that love suspense and thrillers, they'll enjoy this book as well. Um, but it has a message for everyone, like I said. You know, I feel that everyone, this book will touch someone in every way, you know, in their own way. Yeah, well, I'm very passionate about the subject and getting the word out. Uh, we we published uh, the Bridget Harris story um, uh-huh. that, uh, you know, went through um, sexual abuse uh, from my father, which was a big story uh, a few years mm-hmm. back. Uh, and it talks a lot about the same situations that, you know, people just don't realize. And then the ones that do realize, they don't speak up for whatever their reasons may be. And, um, you know, it, it definitely won't elicit any type of change until people do recognize and do talk about it because too many people are passive. And um, I don't know. I guess coming from different cultures, they see things differently. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We just got to stay, like I said, stay prayerful and hope God continues to show us the way through this. And he will. I feel that he will. You know, um, nothing happens overnight, but if we bring more awareness and we are remaining prayerful, things will change. You know, I'm very hopeful and uh, I feel that he's put us in a very uh, great position to reach people. Um, you through your podcast and your listeners who are turning, tuning in um, to listen to it. So that is a step right there. You know, the seed is being already planted. So I feel that he will. He definitely will. We just have to have faith and we have to remain in prayer. I totally 100% agree. And uh, we're going to continue to uh, push your show and push your book. And I'm definitely going to make sure we get a copy of it And when you get your next book ready Come back and share it with us first Thank you, Lamont We'll continue to, like I said, represent And continue doing good work You know, and you be be safe out there, girl I know you got to go to work what you got to do But, you know (laughs) Look, look, mask mask up Do everything you got to do Put on uh, Where are two PPEs? different coats. 
Yeah, and double P, double PPEs and stuff. And, uh, you know, let me know, boy, if they got some strange stuff in that vaccine. I was telling one of my friends the other day, I said, everything is cool till I start seeing people order a whole bunch of rare meat. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I watch too many scary movies, you know what I mean? I know what my problem yeah. is. <laughs> no, I, I feel hopeful about this vaccine, you know, um, and I, I feel that it will be a good thing, you know. So, um, but you stay safe yourself and, you know, for everybody that's listening, you know, wear your mask, continue to do what you need to do uh, to protect yourself and your family. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Cece, for joining us. And don't forget, watch out for them people. They start ordering a whole bunch of rare meat. <laughs> well, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you be well, good. Thank you Cece. so and much. Come so back much. And, for sure, for sure. And come back and join us again. Thank you. Thank you, Lamont, for having me. God bless you. God bless you, too. Everyone, uh, Ms. C.C. Reeves, the author of Breaking Point, go out and support. Go get a book. I know if you don't have any personal situations, I know you know somebody that does. You could definitely gift it to them, and they may not love you today, but they will love you tomorrow. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, listen, come back next week. We'll be back same time, you know, 2.30 PST. Come back and join us. And the show will be available worldwide in about a minute. And if you miss something, tell your mama, tell your daddy, tell your neighbor across the street or the milkman where they can go get the show because there's no reason <laughs> not to hear it. You know, tell them I said so. All right. And in the meantime, on the way, put your ears on this. I'm getting to the point now when I get to church. I want to ask somebody, did you mess up before you got saved? So they can say yes. I say, you're the one I want to sit with. Because I know you're going to praise the Lord. I don't want to sit with no dude who be choosy. Who feels like I don't need to lift him up and I already have Well, why you sitting there like you're dead or something? You got your praise on too. You ought to be bumping, jumping, shouting and running on your feet for the second come in. Miss me with that attitude. Say you'll be saying, 
man, but the devil. Uh. Turn off your brain. 